Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, we're here with Elisa Vitale. She's the art director for many years at Base Beauty. Hi, Elisa. Hello there, Jody. So, Elisa told me just before I hit the record button that she's nervous to do this. Tell me why. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not really used to speaking about myself um, so much, um, so it's new for me. Well, um, this was your idea to have <laughs> the team <laughs> have their own podcast, which I thought was genius, and I'm kind of surprised I didn't think of it because this is where brains meet beauty, and our agency's motto is where brains meet beauty, and of course... Um, you know, our listeners should hear from our team because, you know, these are the original brains and the original beauties. Um, so thank you for the idea, even though you don't want to take credit for it. Um, it was totally your idea. So let's talk about um, work stuff, like emotional, personal work stuff. Um, let's talk about working at a virtual business because this is new for many of our team members. Tell me what it's been like to transition from you know, I guess, traditional work styles to this? Well, um, I have to say, first of all, it's really the greatest luck of my life and the greatest opportunity of my life and the greatest decision of my life to um, to work this way. Um, it certainly has its challenges, but um, the freedom that it gives me is so tremendous. Um, you know, having a family and being allowed to be homesick with my kid um, or sick myself without feeling bad about it is, is huge. Um, I don't have to commute twice a day, which is huge, especially with New Jersey transit, the way it is. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and I work from my porch. I've got my window open now. I'm listening to the birds. Um, I'm looking out on my gardens. So uh, you know, that can't be beat um, in terms of benefits. Um, I would say the thing I struggle most with is that it's a little bit isolating. So I don't get that water cooler talk. Um, right. I don't have spontaneous conversations with people. Um, I talk a lot to my dog because there's <laughs> nobody else for me here. Um, it's a really uh, good relationship we've developed, me and my dog. Um, and he sits by me while I work, and I, I make comments to him. And um, Yeah, so that's really the downside for me is just the lack of, of social communication in, in, in my day. So um, let's talk about that because I feel like we're on the phone you know, our team with each other, you know, all day long in and out. I, don't, I mean, we don't have the phone in our ear the whole day, but, you know, um, quick calls and quick texts and things. Um, is it that you long for, like, talking about, you know, the great movie or the great show, the sort of, like, non-work conversations in your day? Absolutely. Or I want a little bit of gossip in my life, um, inconsequential gossip, you know, or, yes, talking about, uh, whatever we watched on TV. And I guess, you know, of course, we get a little bit of that in our day with each other um, on the phone. But that face-to-face -face is uh, completely missing from my day. So I find myself, you know, at school pickup just trying to attach myself 
um, <laughs> to another human being to have a decent, you know, non-work related conversation with. Um, it's that's it's really challenge. interesting, and I think it's worth exploring because you know I think one of the values of us working virtually is like we're so efficient, right? We don't there's there's not this like chunk of the day that is being spent just shopping online the way, you know, Absolutely. I used to be at my old jobs, right? Um, or like sneaking away to get a manicure and pedicure because like that's the only time I could have gotten it and I had to sneak out and like, you know, whatever. Like the way we used to live in these old jobs where there was like rules and people expected you to be in your seat. Um, so, you know, because of that, I think we're so, so efficient. So we make those phone calls really efficient. Um, is there a way for us to add a little bit of that, like, non-work humanity into the way we work as a team? Well, I don't think we're uh, devoid of humanity at all. I mean, we can work and we, you know, we share laughs on our calls, but we are ultimately just really efficient and productive. Um, I love when we do in-person team meetings. That's always great. It allows for a more, you know, spontaneous kind of atmosphere. Um this is not a huge complaint, <laughs> you know, like the, 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 the pros of the job far outweigh any negatives like this. And I have a very joyful work experience. Um, it's just, you know, it's the, not the small talk, but the, uh, just the social connection face-to-face. Right, right. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit. Um, tell us why beauty. Why beauty. Um, Well, my first job was in music. Um, I was designing CD packaging when we used to have CDs. Mm. Um, And then I was designing music publications. And music is a great, was a great fit for me because one, I I loved music. Um, But two, it was always changing and evolving. So the look of music, not just the sound, but the look of music always changes. So it, it was kind of like endlessly creative and there weren't many rules. Um, but when I think I found that music was no longer fitting my lifestyle being in the music industry, um, I needed to find a new, a new place to settle. Um, and I didn't know where to go because I didn't want to, you know, work for a place that, has one product or something like that. So I went to a talent agency, a creative talent agency, um, and told them my conundrum and told them I want to kind of try out different industries to find where I fit best. And my first job, they placed me in a beauty business. Um, oh, and so I spent, cool. Wait, can you take a step back a second, Lisa? Yeah. What about the music industry? Um, was a, what, what was the lifestyle situation that prevented you from wanting to move forward in music? It was a lot of late nights out. (laughs) Um, And I stopped being a night owl sometime in my 20s. So I just really wanted to go home and sleep. Um, And to stay current and relevant, um, I didn't feel I I was um, capable of those kinds Mm -hmm. of hours. Um, But when I wound up in beauty, that first job, they placed me as a temp um, as a graphic designer, I I stayed for 10 years um, until, you know, I moved up the ranks. And um, it was just a perfect fit for me. It was, it was kind of like 
music. Um, it's color and it's trends and it's it's always changing. Um, and that's really what I need as a designer is not to be static. So that's why beauty for me, primarily um, how I landed in it. And, you know, apart from that, I, I, I love beauty. I love um, showing women a way to feel good about themselves. You know, so, so often it's, it's kind of framed the other way that we're sometimes we're making women feel bad about themselves, but I think it's quite the opposite, right? We're, we're giving them tools to feel good. Um, so I find it personally satisfying on that level as well. It's so interesting that you talk about the, the feel good versus, you know, feeling bad about yourself. Cause it makes me think of, um, you know, we, we did an event with War Paints a Musical and um, it tracks the, um, the rivalry between Helena Rubinstein and Elizabeth Arden over a hundred years ago, but they were both titans of the industry back then. And it seemed like they, they both came at the industry from the perspective that you just spoke about, like making, helping people feel good, right? Giving them the tool to feel good, feel confident, feel assured, feel healthy. Um, but then Charles Revson, who started Revlon, came in and he really started to, to paint a picture around beauty of like the man's point of view and what's beautiful. Um, and I think that's when we start to feel not good about ourselves, uh, when it's really from a, ma- a, a, men's, a man's perspective through a, through a man's eyes. Um, and I think we see this in um, lingerie, right? Like Victoria's Secret is not my vision of what beautiful in a bra <laughs> looks like or feels like. That's definitely a men's point of view. Um, and you see all these new intimate brands launching now that are, you know, like a much softer, much kinder, much more... Um, forgiving um, attitude than, you know, the Victoria's Secret that we've been seeing for, I guess, like 20 years right now, by now. Um, Do you feel that? Do you think that, like, because we're like a group of women, we're coming at it from a very distinctive approach? Well, I don't don't know if that's true. Um, I mean, we're not coming at it from a a male viewpoint, um, but I don't know um that being women per se changes it. I'm not sure even really how to articulate that. Um but I will say that much of what I think is negative about beauty is maybe how we portray um what the ideal woman looks like. And maybe that's the mm-hmm. ideal woman to a man, what they look like. Right. And and many times it's unattainable. Um, but, you know, putting on a nice lipstick or just putting on some mascara can make any woman feel good about herself. And it doesn't have to be through the lens of the man. Um, so maybe that's the viewpoint I'm talking about. Right. So it makes me think about, um, conversations around castings, right? Like we, um, for, for quite some time right now, we've been talking with our clients about like diversity and casting, right? Mm-hmm. Like showing many women that she is that brand woman. Um, wh- what are the things that go through your head when you're working on casting um, to try to help, help guide the client to paint a picture of diversity? And I mean, diversity could be um, skin tone. It could be yeah. hair. It could be body shape and size. Yeah, well, I think about, you know, a recent video campaign that we did, and there was 
diversity of skin tone and diversity of weight, um, diversity of age. And it was really just finding what was beautiful about each one of those people. And it might have been their personality. I mean, they were, they were all, of course, good looking, but they weren't necessarily, you know, a runway model. They were accessible. Um, and I think guiding our clients towards that only benefits their brand because the world is filled with real people, uh, not with models. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I answered that question properly. Yeah. Are you speaking about the Con Air Good Hair Day campaign? Yes. Yes. So yes, for our exactly. listeners, they can go to our YouTube, um, YouTube page to see that campaign. And it was great because it's like, you know, all these beautiful women, beautiful inner glow, beautiful on the outside and distinctively differently beautiful <laughs> from each other right. in so many ways. They, um, some had light really in their eyes when they were talking, you know, or some had a right. little snap in their step and all of these things identify them as being beautiful. Yeah, it makes me um, you know, really want to help guide brands this place because, uh, you know, influencers don't pay for product. Customers do, right? Influencers don't really have to have a true love affair with a brand, right? They get paid, <laughs> but customers do. So the more that we can help our brands get to the place where they're like talking in a real way to real people, I think it's going to just have more opportunity for, you know, wider conversations and more brand love. Yeah, I think um I think the the industry is changing and hopefully in a good way as to what we see as beauty and how we are redefining beautiful. Um and I'd love to be part of that more. So Lisa, my last question for you, um if you weren't in the beauty business, um or the creative business, what do you think you'd be doing? <laughs> Well, this is going to come as a big surprise to you, Judy. <laughs> um, I really think I would like to be a neuroscientist. Um, I didn't see that, that coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, what's so funny about that is I had, I've never displayed any aptitude in science or math, um, which are both kind of prerequisites for being in neuroscience. Um, <laughs> but I am so drawn to the mystery of the brain and I read a lot about it and I'm just um, endlessly fascinated. So I, I think in another lifetime, that's where you would have found me in neuroscience. And is there a chance that we'll find you there in a few years? Really? No, because um, again, <laughs> I, there's that, uh, the math science component, which I am severely <laughs> lacking. Interest enough does that, uh, or interest does not get you, uh, get you a position in neuroscience. So, Right. And I guess, are they like looking for really great graphic designers and art directors? <laughs> <laughs> that could be my in. You're absolutely right. Uh, but for now, I'm, I'm pretty content where I am. Uh, no, no intention of switching careers at this point. Well, Alisa, thank you for sharing your wisdom and experience with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.